Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion, and they were Ephrasites from Bethlehem, Judea. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Naomi replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, 
my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined not to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred because of them. And the women explained, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, which means delight, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Anne. Lovely reading of a lovely bit of story. I wonder, what sort of stories do you like? Complex plots, perhaps? Characters you like to love or hate? Lots of long lyrical description, perhaps? Some stories give you lots of detail about what and where and why and who. Some stories are short, no details. They make you work. Imagine, engage, think. The Old Testament of book of Ruth, which we're starting to read together this morning, is very short. It starts, in the days when the judges ruled. We're in the time after the Israelites settled in their promised land after their exodus from Egypt. That's about the 13th century BC or thereabouts but before their first king. So we're roughly 3,100 years ago. The judges are not judges as we understand them. They're more charismatic leaders who people felt God would use to rescue them from their enemies and their troubles. Overall, not a good time for Israel. Much horrendous violence between nations and tribes and people. People would turn from God, suffer as a consequence, turn back to him, and then fall away again. The Old Testament book of Judges ends gloomily. In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Then after the book of Judges, we find the book of Ruth, which starts in the days when the judges ruled. So, more chaos and mayhem then? It doesn't start well. The book of Ruth leads us straight into international politics and economics, tribal and family belonging, love and grief, personal survival. And that's just the first five verses. Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons are of the tribe of Ephrathah. They live in Bethlehem in Judah, 
there's a famine. So they go to live in the country of Moab. Here's a map. Uh, so, if you can see that, um, uh, the Dead Sea's in the middle, Judah's over on the left, and you can see Bethlehem there, and Moab is over on the right, the other side of the Jordan Valley. You can see the River Jordan coming down into the Dead Sea. I've put Mount Nebo there because that just happens to be the famous place where Moses looked across the Jordan Valley at the Promised Land. We don't know where in Moab Elimelech and his family went. There was a famine, but the story suggests they just went on their own. We don't know what caused the famine. Probably a drought. But I do wonder, though, if it wasn't something to do with the erratic political and economic management in Israel. And why Moab specifically? The story doesn't tell us that either. There is an important backstory here. When the Israelites were making their great exodus journey from Egypt to their promised land, they traveled, and you're following the line of the red arrows there, they traveled up the eastern side of the Dead Sea through the country of Moab and other nations. The Moabites and others too resisted their progress. Eventually, the Israelites got through across the Jordan and up into Canaan, but their leaders didn't forgive Moab. The book of Deuteronomy says, No Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. You shall never promote their welfare or their prosperity as long as you live. Great leaders of the Jews back in Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon were savage towards Jews who married women of Moab. Like Nehemiah said, shall we listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? But Moab and Israel kept up a complex relationship over the centuries. Sometimes they got on, sometimes not. Let's face it, there's always trade to do. So another question, put yourself in that story. Given what we know, would you go to Moab with Elimelech and Naomi? Moab, with all that history of opposition, its different language and, we suppose, customs, its strange God, Moab you've been taught to stay away from, even to hate? Or put it this way, Today, in London, in Surrey, in South Croydon, who do you find difficult to accept or approach or even acknowledge? What's different about them that you find difficult? The team they support? I just have to say here, if you like rugby... I will try very, and, and you're Scottish or Irish, I will try very hard to say hello afterwards. <laughs> what about their language, their accent? What they do, how they live, their sexuality, their colour, their beliefs, what they eat and drink, where they come from? Do you know why 
you find them different and difficult. Elimelech and Naomi and their lads face some of those questions as famine pushes them outside their cultural comfort over the Jordan into foreign Moab. Sadly, Elimelech dies. Happily, the two lads marry foreign women, the Moabites Ruth and Orpah. But then tragically, the sons also die, leaving Naomi and her daughters-in-law grieving and insecure. Naomi hears the famine in Judah has ended, and she decides to go back to Bethlehem. Ruth and Orpah go with her. Just in passing, we note from now on in Ruth, the whole of Ruth chapter 1 that we heard, it's only about women. In that world of the judges where we're told all the people did what was right in their own eyes, does that make a difference? While somewhere on their journey, Naomi tells her two daughters-in-law, you need to go back home. May God bless you. You have no security with me. You need new husbands, and I can't help you there. So for Ruth and Orpah, it's go back to your old family, your village, your customs, your God, your language, and find a new husband. Or... Stay with Naomi. Go to her home where you will be the foreigner with strange people, a different language, a new God. Orpah goes back to Moab. Maybe better the world, the culture she knows. But Ruth clings to Naomi. How does Naomi strike you? She tells her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab. Is that for their sakes? In her grief, perhaps, does she just want to be on her own? She attributes her hard circumstances to the Almighty. Is that reasonable, given what most people believed at the time? Or is there an element of feeling sorry for herself? Call me bitter, she will tell the women of Bethlehem. And what's Ruth thinking? Is Naomi her family now? Or, she's already a widow, might life just be more secure with Naomi? Or does she just love Naomi? Let's hear Ruth again. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thanks, Anne. Your God will be my God, Ruth declares. Across the ancient Near East, different tribes and nations had their own gods. So as Ruth migrates, is adopting her mother-in-law's god just a mark of her new identity, like a flag or a national anthem? Maybe. I'm not so sure. The Old Testament contains some very difficult material, some, let's be honest, appalling events and prescriptions. But scholars note 
there is often an immense qualitative difference between the narratives and laws of the Israelites and those of surrounding nations. The Hebrew creation narrative is about God lovingly and joyfully bringing us into being in his image to share his life. Other religions imagined people were served to create the gods amid chaos. The Bible scholar John Barton sees underlying all the Old Testament laws and stories what he describes as a vision of human dignity bestowed by God upon the human race and never to be ignored. So I wonder if with her husband and her mother-in-law Naomi in Moab, did Ruth see something special about the Israelite ethos, sense something about the goodness of God's creation, the dignity he wants everyone to feel? Ruth recognizes Naomi's God and she commits to action too. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die, she declares. Ruth's promising faithful kindness to Naomi for as long as she lives. There's a Hebrew word for that. It's chesed. There's nothing like it in English. Our translators have to choose among words like kindness and faithfulness and loyalty. But there's much, much more to chesed than that. Chesed means doing something important, valuable for someone and doing something that's part of a continuing faithful friendship. Where does the idea of chesed come from? The Old Testament uses chesed to describe God's character and actions. Whenever it talks about God's steadfast love and faithfulness, his mercy and compassion, his ever-enduring covenantal love, that's chesed. And we see chesed now in Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, as she and Naomi walk through desert, wildernesses, rough hills, from the Moabite hills down uh, around the northern end of the Dead Sea, across the Jordan, up the other side of the valley, and so to Bethlehem. How long did that take? Don't know. A week, perhaps? Where did they sleep? What did they eat? Over a thousand years later, an itinerant rabbi from the north would walk some of these same tracks and hills. At first alone, but then with a growing varied band of followers, followers joyfully attesting to healing and teaching and finding acceptance and friendship. The rabbi would know the scriptures inside out. Did Ruth and Naomi crossing the boundaries out of their cultures help him think what his father's kingship should look like for foreigners, for women, the marginalized, people not like us, people needing friendship, people with friendship and blessings to bring? 
He would defy boundaries and prejudices and misunderstood laws in his stories, like the one about the man from hated Samaria who rescued the Jewish victim of a vicious mugging. In his meetings, like with a woman in Samaria who he asked for water to drink. And in his meals and parties, like with a detested tax collector in Jericho. Then there would be all the women and the children and all the people shunned for their illnesses and disabilities and judged sinfulness and non-compliance with whole donkey loads of laws and interpretations. People who would find wholeness and healing and faithful friendship. Why would he do that? We are created in his image. That's why. That offer of friendship, that chesed, has rippled out down the centuries and across the world. We are welcome to receive it. We're invited to set off some ripples of our own, to fling our own pebble into the water wherever we are. You never know where your ripple might go. The phrase, make friends, means doing something. Our world is immeasurably more complex and sophisticated that, than that of the Near East in what the archaeologists call the Late Bronze Age and the Early Iron Age. Our understanding of who we are, how our world works, has grown comparably. But Ruth and Naomi still ask us hard questions about how we see others. Nationally, are we and other countries becoming polarized, like Israel and other nations in the time of the judges? Apart from physical depth and width, obviously, how would you compare the River Jordan as a boundary 3,000 years ago to the English Channel today? How do immigrants feel here? Dignity? One exemplar for me is the South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who died recently. As a black youngster in apartheid, South Africa, he was puzzled when a white priest raised his hat to his mother. Why would a white man raise his hat to a black woman? That nudged Tutu towards faith and ministry. He was a man of both action. He once rescued a man from execution by a gang and of words. We should treat everyone as made in God's image, he would say. His role in dismantling apartheid will be very long remembered. We're not all called to that uh, national level of service, but perhaps we can support those who are. What about, it's just an example, encouraging our MPs and our councillors to model for our children and grandchildren an ethos of dignity and respect. At a corporate level, I guess we all belong to a variety of organisations. Thinking about Elimelech and Naomi fitting in in Moab, what's it like in the organisations that you belong to? I'm in a choir. No women singing in my choir. 
but then we are a male voice choir. But thinking about my choir, 30 years ago, you'd never have noticed a gay chorister. The macho tradition would never have let him in. Now, well, you wouldn't notice a gay chorister. Our common organisation here is, of course, our church. We're well, moderately diverse, especially, I guess, in how we live and our work and our commitments. And let's be honest, too, in how we see our faith. There's a constant challenge for every church here. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. I know many people here give huge and wonderful service. I just wonder, as Paul says, does everyone have equal concern for each other? I was thinking that after Elijah's baptism here last week. We all make a corporate promise at a baptism. I've been a member here for over 30 years, so I've attended many baptisms. But how can, many can I remember? Would I know any of the parents and the godparents in the street? How many baptism families over all those decades still feel part of an undivided body. Ruth clings to Naomi, and I hear the question. National, corporate, then individual. Ruth clings to Naomi, and I hear the question. We can't try to be everything to, ev to everyone we know. That's impractical nonsense, which just leads to damaging guilt not the flourishing that God dreams of for every one of us. But it's worth looking around. Perhaps there's something that only you can do for someone else, a new ripple of friendship that you could start. For a long time, I had a near neighbour. She's now in a care home. She has some difficulties. She's not easy to get on with. Her distant, her, her distant family seems to ignore her. But she has just one friend. Someone I know has visited or phoned my former neighbour for an hour of banter and chat and debate about humanism every week for years. Why, I wonder? Ah, oh, Clive, Ruth tells me. That's faithful friendship. That's chesed. Well, Ruth and Naomi have reached Bethlehem and the whole town is stirred, the story says. What next? Well, that's for next week. For now, we just look back and see two women sharing their griefs, their old loves, their memories, their insecurities. Whatever their future, it will be together. They have each crossed boundaries, rejected the differences fostered by others, embraced foreignness, 
And in their friendship, they bring each other life. The, the night before his excruciating execution, the night before he crossed the greatest boundary, Jesus called his fallible, vacillating, misunderstanding followers his friends. We're about to celebrate that in our communion. As we take communion, we'll hear words that Jesus said, words which invite us to shed our suspicions and prejudices, to step across boundaries, to make friends for him. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.